0: Uh, at least the summer season, back to school and all that, and um, we finished a little while ago the the series uh, that we were with in uh, from Isaiah, the prophet, Old Testament prophet Isaiah, all sixty-six chapters. Uh, we worked our way through, and there's still smiles, but uh, we we have moved on. From, we had a kind of series of um, special things going on. Uh, we'll have a few more in in the coming, but I wanted to to move on in the autumn. To uh, a series, kind of based, I guess, around uh, f- particularly First and Second Peter, although we're not going to be reading that tonight. Uh, but something that I was just kind of challenged by and provoked by a little while ago, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it after I've read from Second Corinthians chapter one verse three to eleven. If you have a Bible handy, please find that on a device or in the paper version. and I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through to 11. Paul the Apostle writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on behalf of the gracious favor granted us in the answers of the prayers of many. Thanks be to God. One of the things that uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, by spirit, I guess, and has drawn into us and to our church over the, the last number of years is a growing kind of appreciation and awareness of the importance of the persecuted church. Uh, we've come about that for a number of reasons, but, but also particularly through connection with, with Open Doors, who support and encourage the persecuted church. You're well aware, I hope, of pers- of, the, of Open Doors. And through that, through um, going to some events, standing strong, coming up in November, I encourage you if you're able to, to attend that day. And thinking a little bit about it and meeting with Eddie Lyle, who's the, the president, and uh, some of the people who work there, including amongst, from Amongst our Fellowship, began to think afresh about the scriptures in that context. One of the things uh, a guy called Ron Boyd-McMillan, who's been here a couple of times, really appreciate him, has said that the New Testament is written by persecuted Christians for persecuted Christians in the midst of persecuted Christians. In fact, most of the Bible is, uh, or a lot of it could be directed that way. And so I've begun to, uh, and Phil has, and, and a number of us, begun to kind of take that on board and begun to read the New Testament with, I guess, like I'm getting to be a little bit older, with the lenses or looking at it, like, not to filter it out, but to see perhaps afresh with a fresh vision of that context. There implicitly in Second Corinthians. There again and again through the scriptures. And as such, in our little series from First and Second Peter, to read it with that lens. Of understanding it perhaps, of how this would have been heard, how this would have connected in the context of persecution. And of how it would bring help. So I want to just set the scene a little bit about persecution and set a little basis for that. I wonder, and this is a little bit participatory if you're able and happy to do this, I wonder if you would describe yourselves. um, If you're a follower of Jesus here, and, and if you're not, that's fine. Would you say that you have ever been persecuted for being a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus Christ? Maybe just... Wave a hand. In some way, a little bit, maybe. Would anyone be daring enough to to, to say this isn't kind of like some sort of uh, persecution off of like we've got to kind of like find out who's had the worst thing done to them? That would be a little bit macabre. But that's not the intention, but I, I do want to 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 just emphasise. That, that when we talk about persecution, when we pray for the persecutors, when we persecuted church, when we are uh, thinking about this, there's the tendency to think of the other place. And there is persecution, the world watch list of, of a great deal, a, of challenge for believers in many parts of the world. But in some senses, that can load in us a sense of, well, that's not ours, and maybe we feel a bit ashamed about that. But actually the reality is, and I'll, I'll come to explain this why in a moment, that actually it is more prevalent than we think. It may just be a matter of degree. So, Noah, you kind of waved a little bit of a hand. Do you happy to share? You can say no. I'll look awkward then, but you can say, uh, tell us, what have you been maybe persecuted for your faith? I can repeat it. I don't want to thrust a microphone in your face. Odd looks. So maybe just the way people respond to you, or uh, kind of alter their behaviour towards you because they know you're a believer. You've started and pioneering a Christian union at, uh, at the school. Has that kind of caused any conversation or w- weird looks from the from the fellow sixth formers? So one one kind of lad in the in the form. Anybody else being courageous and wants to kind of. Sam, do you, are you, can you share a bit? I saw your hand at the back row. Is this in, in the UK or in, in yeah, in Romania? okay so you got affected by her decision yeah okay 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 so anger and that kind of spilled out in a bit of a bit of aggression okay he's a good guy now it's good to know one more if anyone's willing to alan you were waving at the back i saw you too Yeah, so uh, criticism uh, can be there from from others. As I've uh, looked back over kind of my experience of, of being a follower of Jesus, I, I can remember a, a few instances. And again, they're, they're not on the level of uh, of some people I've I've met or you may have even had yourself. But when I first became a believer in 1991, I remember phoning um, my mum and dad to tell them, and it was a, I was a bit nervous. I'd not grown up in faith at all and it was in the old days before mobile phones goodness me that puts dates it doesn't it uh, it was on a pay phone in the hall of residence and put the pen the 10ps in and uh the call connected and i told them after a little while and my mum was kind of quite high she said what have you gone and done that for you how could you be so stupid uh, now being a wise and gentle soul i got really angry with her. <laughs> not expressed it but i was i felt really kind of Uh, knocked back because, uh, you know, I'd I'd hoped that my, particularly my mum and dad, would be um, supportive or at least kind of mildly interested, but they were quite hostile against it. Uh, Less so over the years, I have to say. Um, I have had a a group of friends from kind of school and and before as a Christian, when they knew I'd become a Christian, they started to, it's not original, but get labeled as the God-botherer. That was a phrase they, they used about. Me and other Christians, the God botherers. As though God likes to be just left alone and he's, oh, not them Christians again, <laughs> bothering him. I remember an instance as I was, uh, a youth worker and um, a, a guy called Dan. Uh, his family had come to faith, he was away at university and this was down in Essex. And he came back and his mum and dad and sister had become believers. And they were full of joy and full of life. And it was a total shift in his home life. And he was really angry. He was like, God has destroyed my family. They've become nutters. And he knew it was a church. But I was, because um, his sister was part of the youth group I was running. He, I, I was kind of like the face to all this stuff that had changed. And so he, he, was, he was, I'm going to take it out I'm, this change so he, he thought the best thing is to come and see me so he phoned me up and said or his sister said my brother wants to come and see you he was older and uh he came to the house that I was staying knocked on the door and he was he told me afterwards he was all set to punch me uh, because I was a, because I'd done this to his family now I kind of opened the door and said oh hi Dan welcome Do you want a cup of tea and he said he came in he was like okay and then his like ability to punch me had got I didn't know this I was a little bit surprised Afterwards, I gave him a cup of tea. Uh, he's now wonderfully a, a believer and leads a church in Albania. <laughs> the irony of God. Um, with his wife. Persecution happens, it's, it's a bit like a spectrum. Uh, I think it was uh, Ron who, who talked about, imagine a, a big rose branch or a, a, a branch with thorns. And Someone was reflecting on, I think it was a story from China, saying that we are as the body of Christ, Paul here writing to the church in Corinth, saying we are the body of Christ together, we're all part of one family, it's like we're all part of the branch, but it's just that some believers are having to sit on the spikes where it's much more acute and painful than others. We may be sitting in a fairly benign place, maybe not. I don't know what your home life is like. I don't know what it's like for you to be a believer in your marriage or with your parents or in your workplace or with neighbors. I don't know. But it's surprising how persecution can spill out. So I, I want us in, in this little series to think through the scriptures, the truth of scripture, with that understanding that this is far more common than we would think. It's not just about Somewhere else. So, a definition this may prove helpful uh, when we think about what is persecution. Persecution is any uh, hostility or experience from the world as a result of one's identification with Jesus Christ. It can include hostile feelings, attitudes, words, and actions. Let me repeat that as a working kind of definition. Persecution is any hostility or experience from the world as a result of one's identification with Christ, Jesus. It can include hostile feelings, attitudes, words, and actions. In other words, this life of following Jesus is amazing, but also we expect opposition Someone fra- pra- uh, phrased it like this, we, we like to think of life as a playground, if only it was such, but actually it's more like a battleground, particularly when we step into the, the, the plans and purposes God has for us, when as we become, as we sung tonight, children of God, sons and daughters of God, we recognize that the battle is intense, it's not just easygoing, sometimes when we we talk with people as they become christians or in after alpha that sometimes or even when people are baptized it's important just to kind of remind them that sometimes the the intensity of that opposition can go up even though you're doing the right thing even though you're taking a step of faith and even though you are living in the plans and purposes of god the opposition can ratchet up as well Why is it a battleground, not a playground? Because we're in a spiritual battle. Just a little bit later in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says these words, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That we live in this context, though our culture denies this, we live in the truth of reality that there is light and darkness, There are those who are blind and those who have had sight restored. And indeed, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in the context of the struggles they're in, at the root behind that is this opponent of God, Satan, the evil one, the God of this age, the devil. So what does this passage remind us? That God is the God of comfort in the midst of strugglings, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain. Even, as he said, maybe even overwhelmed and thinking how we could even endure under it. Yet, God did not abandon. Abandon. So just a few thoughts as I kind of introduce this theme. Why persecution? Why are we persecuted? Why is it that we as believers sometimes are in the crosshair of a dreadful battle? Why is it that when we're standing for Jesus, who is the Lord, who's conquered death, who is seated at the right hand of God, who uh, holds all of time and eternity and will wind all things up when he returns in his second coming, why? Why? Is persecution part of the reality, the story of now? Well, firstly, I think it's because Satan in the world still hates Jesus. Still hates the things of God, bizarrely. See, when we we sometimes boil things down, We, we understand the kingdom of God to be about love, and the fullness of that love expressed through truth and the purposes and plans of God. That love that actually just isn't uh, about myself, but is self-giving. It We know that love is, finds its fullest, def, fullest definition when we empty ourselves and live for God and for the sake of his kingdom and for others. When love is self-sacrificial, that is set immediately in context against the grain of the attitudes and the prevailing norms of our universe or of our culture, which says it's about it's better to get than to give. It's better, it's more about me and my pride and what I want to achieve or what I can accumulate, greed, versus this self-giving love. It's manifest in the cross that the world hates Jesus Christ. That hasn't changed, even though he is raised. The cross, uh, something I dwell on often, It, it describes God at his very best. God, as he, as he dies for the sins of the world, God, as he bears and takes upon himself as our substitute, God, as he declares just how magnificent self-giving love and the victory it wins over violence and hatred and even death and despair, separation and loneliness of curse and brings blessing. This is God at his best, but the cross also demonstrates humanity at its worst. Who put him there? Or pilot, kind of, the crowds, the chief priests, the rulers. But so much more, humanity, ourselves, our self, our pride, our guilt. That the world's kickback because it hates the things of God is to oppose the things of God, the things of Jesus Christ. John 1, 5, in that amazing prologue to the the gospel, says these words. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Tries, tries to overcome, but can't. darkness sets in when we reject jesus christ it's a battleground so why persecution because the world hates jesus secondly because of the devil and his powers and principalities that satan rages still and hates everything about jesus christ and it's behind the world, the God of this age, as Paul writes in Second Corinthians, manipulating and pulling strings and seeking to direct uh, people away from the fullness of God. Think about the experience of Jesus himself in in, uh, chapter 4 of of Matthew's gospel, chapter 4 of of Luke's gospel. When Jesus himself was tempted, when Satan came and sought to get him to divert from the plans of God to actually fulfill Satan's strategy or to be subverted into self-fulfillment. Direct temptation. Accusing us, coming before us to demoralize us, to undermine us, to cause us to doubt and cease and stop. Or, indirectly. One of the things uh, Ron pointed out from Acts is that persecution indirectly comes from one of five places in Acts and still is really true around the world. Indirectly, but he uses rulers. He uses... Priests, those in religious authority. He uses merchants, economies. He uses mobs, and he uses families. Those are some of his indirect strategies, really kind of key. He uses rulers. We see that uh, in, in the despotic leaderships around, that the rulers will say, you cannot, you must not. We outlaw faith and woe betide you if you stand for Jesus. You'll be arrested, your possessions will be removed, you'll be put into prison, or worse, through the influence of rulers who stand against God and his plans and purposes. We see it in the gospel story in Pilate, in Herod, in various other leaders of the Caesars and so forth. In priests, those vested with kind of power of religion, those who have a lot to lose, who use religion for control. It's really interesting that, uh, that, that priests can be used. Still in Acts, you see it, the priests are the ones who often beat and, uh, and arrest and cause sedition and cause people see because power uh, over people in people's lives is often vested in what we worship what we give our affinity, our time and our treasure to, what we worship, and those who control that get really upset when we start to worship the one true God. Merchants, again and again in Acts, those who um, were involved in, in the economy, the local economy, were really challenged when the gospel started to take effect whether that was because of uh, worship in in the in uh, in ephesus with the temple of, of artemis that the christians that many people were coming believers and they stopped buying all the occult paraphernalia and they stopped going to the temple and kind of worshiping there and the kind of the local industry it's like going to blackpool and not going on the rides or going to the illuminations or if you lived in las vegas of actually saying, actually, we're not going to involve ourselves in the gambling or the prostitution there. Imagine a whole city starting to say, we're not going to be part of that. Very quickly, those with vested interest in power would probably stir up opposition, kind of often using mobs, rent a crowd, those who are kind of called upon, who don't really care less, but will get something in reward to come and be mobs. I don't know if you've ever been in a mob, a good mob or a bad mob. Uh, Dover's Games here. Uh, When the crowds are dancing away and you go, I want to get out of this. A football crowd. Last time I was in India with the youth team, we had the first day of orientation. We went to look at this um, historic site and we went down after walking up all these steps in this old fort. We were sitting in this cafe and this political protest came along. And there was drums and they were all dressed up and they were kind of, uh, there's elections coming up and I was suddenly like, oh my goodness, you know, the whole thing of not being near political protests in, in, in some of these places. And I thought, well, let's just sit in, the, sit in the back of the cafe. It was open-fronted, and maybe they'll pass by. But as they passed by, they looked in, and they thought, oh, white people, let's go in. Kind of, so they came in with their drums, and they surrounded my youth team on their very first day, and they were half asleep having traveled overnight. And they to, and, and I was like, oh, my goodness, if these are na- Hindi nationalists. We're going to be in real trouble. And, and they, didn't, they weren't, but they wanted photographs with us. And I was suddenly kind of like, this could turn really awkward. Praise the Lord, it didn't. Mobs and, and family Jesus was persecuted by his family. they thought he'd gone mad and they came to take him home. that again and again that we see the influence of family to make life really difficult. We see Im- impacts of that in the scriptures. In Corinth, in the letter of, you know, if one person comes to faith, don't leave. Don't leave because of your faith, but you may endure a sharp moment. Behind it is Satan. The world hates Jesus. Satan is active with his powers against Jesus, and because we are in Jesus we become targets too. Thirdly, it's to be expected. Persecution is to be expected. I, I, I remember t- teaching this in India with the youth conference. And um, in the first session, as I'd kind of outlined a bit like this, what persecution is, and uh, unbeknownst to us, one of the, the young people had invited a Hindu friend to come to this youth conference. said It was amazing, There was like, it's three days retreat, it's, there's a, it's in this kind of countryside and there's a swimming pool and walks and a pond and lakes and it's good food and time out. And so this Hindu guy had come along with his 100 or so Indian Christians. And in the small group that one of our, our teenagers, one of our team was leading, after hearing this, the, the, the Hindu guy said, what, what benefit is there in becoming a follower of Jesus, kind of threw one of our young people because they were like, I thought everyone was Christians here. And it was like, having heard this, it's not like 101 of basic evangelism. Tell, tell people before they become a Christian how hard this is to expect that it might get quite rough and tumbling. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul writes to Timothy, his his younger kind of mentee, someone he's raised up. The Lord's hand upon him says it's, it's part of the course. That it's universal and spiritual. Ultimately, persecution comes from the word to pursue. If something is pursuing you, in a dream, it's not a comfortable place, is it? That kind of better run, better run, better run. If you're walking down the street at night and someone's following you, you're being pursued. Persecution is the pursuit of Jesus in us and through us. When Saul was, was uh, dead set on stamping out the, the early Christians, the followers of the way, those who uh, had become believers in Jesus and his resurrected life. He, he got letters and authority to go and arrest and jail and hopefully to stamp out, to squash what he saw as this cult, as this heresy. And as he was traveling to Damascus, a light surrounded him and a voice The voice of Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was going after the Christians in Syria, in Damascus. But Jesus, Acts 9, 4, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because we are in Christ, we're united in Christ. When the the Satan and the world is targeting us, it's actually targeting us because we are in him and he is in us. It's to be expected because as we are leading a godly life the way God intends, there is a kickback against us because we are in Christ Jesus. It's to be expected. An Egyptian Christian, he was a Muslim convert from a Muslim background, became a follower of Jesus, was arrested and tortured for his faith. He wrote after his experience, we are in the same fight, you and I. That's why we're here. The only difference is that your fight is more subtle, mine more brutal, but the same fight for his faith. And fourthly, and just as I close, something quite profound and mysterious, and I don't pretend to know fully what Paul begins to speak on but we'll give it a go. He implies, as he said, praise be, full of praise to the God and Father of compassion, the God of comfort. Why do we understand God as a God of comfort? Because he comes to us in our time of desperation and when we are hard-pressed and in need, in all our troubles, so that as we understand more of God, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we of ourselves have received. I spoke a little bit about giving away generously what God has given us this morning. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. He touches upon this a number of times in his letters, that there's something about being persecuted, something enduring for Christ in suffering that helps us to understand to share in Christ's sufferings. Not that that is, is uh, applicable to, to adding to what the cross has done, of adding to the fullness of, and the completeness of his salvation. Not at all. But there's something about sharing in Christ's sufferings that Paul would see as bizarrely a privilege. Paul would see as something as we draw close to the nature and character of God that we, we begin to see the heart and the nature of God which keeps on giving love, which keeps on giving love even when it is hard-pressed and everything in the world would say, stop. Yet because of the Holy Spirit's wellspring from within us, we cannot, that in the midst of the raging storm, we will not cease or hide away. But continue to love and hold out truth and life just as Christ did. And that that produces patient enduring of the same suffering we suffer. As a follower of Jesus we live in a battleground, not a playground. hope you know that the persecution that we may experience may not be as severe as anyone else but it is real and to be expected it can come because and the reason is because we identify with jesus he is in us and we are in him and includes hostile feelings attitudes words and actions against him and ultimately against us. Why? Because the world hates what God stands for. The darkness does not overcome. Satan is still limited but still raging, still seeking, uh, as uh, we will see in Peter, talks about him as a, a, a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. He is active directly in temptation and accusation but also indirectly often through those who act on his behalf. Rulers, priests, merchants, mobs and even family. This is normal Christian living. As I was preparing for the youth conference in India and and every one of those hundred young people had experienced persecution, much to the shock of our team. But as our team got to know our friends and young people in India, 14 to 24-year-olds, each one of them, either being in college or at home or in their neighborhood, had rocks thrown at them or even beaten up, they saw that they endured persecution, didn't embrace it and go, oh, I'm so blessed I've been persecuted. It hurt them. But they saw in it a resolve to say, where can we go but follow Jesus? We are in him, and it is costly, but I cannot leave him. That as we share in Christ's sufferings, not at all easy. There's a deep comfort that comes from God and a deep comfort that is shared with others. That we are strength through the experience and the testimony of others, and equipped. Phil and I have mulled this over for a long time, and as I talk with those who work for Open Doors and other places, there's a sense in which when teachings happen for the persecuted, they're thinking, "Why? why did we, we really long to know this. We wish we'd heard it sooner. It would help us to stand strong in the storm. And the comment that came out as I read around this is, we wish we'd known this sooner, because when persecution came, we would have been ready. And Phil and I have mulled about this a number of times and thought, I wonder if it's time to start equipping this church. I'm not being a doomsayer. I'm not saying, you know, set the clock by Christmas is going to go all uh, terrible. But actually, if Paul is right and teaches Timothy this is to be expected, shouldn't we be equipped and unsurprised and strengthened to stand through the storm? Let's pray.